The Incomparable is brought to you by Try Audiobooks. Visit www.tryaudiobooks.com slash incomparable for free downloads. The Incomparable, number 202, July 2014. Welcome back to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell. It's episode number 202, and our, like, fifth in a row, fourth in a row episode where we detail the nominees for the Hugo Awards, the um, awards that I always paid attention to as a kid there by uh, science fiction fans voting for the favorite science fiction stuff of the year. Um, we have, we'll try to keep the spoilers kind of light so you can maybe discover some of these things. A lot of this stuff is available. Short stories are largely available online. The books, of course, are available for you to purchase. And uh, so we're going to try to not totally spoil everything, but uh, maybe you will discover some interesting things to read as we discuss some of these things that have been nominated for awards, which is usually a pretty good sign. Not always, but usually. Uh, joining me to discuss the this, this year's uh, batch of Hugos, um, as always, is my uh, compatriot in reading, Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. Uh, you, did you do all the reading? Uh, no, I didn't. I did. I read all the novels. I read all the short stories. I read half the novelettes and none of the novellas. All right. That's, that's, you're, you're, you're in my ballpark actually there. So, um, get out of my ballpark. No, <laughs> I, I just wandered in here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. All right. I guess we left the gates <laughs> unlocked. That happens. There's, security is quite poor. Um, David Lore is also out there. David, you haven't done one of these before. Hello. Hello. What, uh, well, you what, know, I, I have a, uh, fear of mira grant novels so what did you read i read most of the retro hugo nominees oh excellent okay so we we should explain that that in addition to the best uh, honoring the best stuff from uh the last year the retro hugos are honoring the best stuff from 1939 from 75 years ago uh and and david read a lot of that stuff along with monty ashley hi monty David and Monty are uh, are representing the past, the distant past, and then we're representing the the recent past. Now, I also I have failed to introduce my uh, my fourth guest. Um, it's Erica Ensign, who herself is a Hugo nominee this year for the Verity Podcast, which is nominated in the Best Fan Cast category. So we cheese it, guys. The, the nominees are here. Ooh. <laughs> that actually took me by surprise when you said that because i was all ready to sit down and talk about the books and stuff yeah and oh well that's right there's that thing we will not talk about the best fan cast category uh okay. because we're not going to put you on the spot but verity is a wonderful Thank podcast you. and you are up for a hugo which is super awesome it gets my vote oh uh, and we shucks. and 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 those of us who paid um for memberships do get to vote so i think we have voters on this on this episode yes oh I, my Yes, I'm a, I'm a voter. Mm. I'm a voter. I am too. <laughs> Monty, are you voting? Um, I'm not a voter this year. Uh, you do me no good. <laughs> Just hang up. Monty, tell me what to vote for in the Retro Hugos. You can have my ballot for the Retro Hugos. How about that? <laughs> oh, uh, vote for Galactic Patrol. Yeah. Oh, I read that one. I, okay, maybe yeah, you can't have my vote. Anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get there. So so we got a couple things to go through here, and um and we've read sort of different parts. Erica, what have you read of the of the stuff that's been nominated? I have read all of the short stories, novelettes, and novellas, uh, and I finished two of the novels. Gave up on two of them and haven't started on the Wheel of Time. All right. 
Yeah, I should point out when I said I read all the novels, I did not read The Wheel of Time. Right. <laughs> I is, wondered about that. Which is not a novel, yeah. but rather a series of novels all um, nominated together. I read the first 60 pages of The Wheel of Time, and I'm prepared to <laughs> judge the entire thing Out from that. Out of 2000, that. yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to read it many, many years ago and knew that I was not going to finish. Mm, no. Just no. like the author. And the author and also that was did before not finish. He, that was when he was still alive. Yeah. yeah. So... Back in the good old so days. when they announced that they were going to continue them, I went, <laughs> no. So let's let's get started with the the, the modern Hugos and talk about uh, best novel. Let's start there. That's the big one, and then we'll move into the short fiction, the, the big game, the uh, the <laughs> big game hunting. Yes. Uh, I thought it was interesting short fiction too, but we'll start with we'll start with best novel. Um, five nominees in this category. We, we can start by mentioning the Wheel of Time. I haven't read any of it. They were nice enough to put it in the voter packet, so I now have these thirty books or whatever it is, all welded together in one EPUB so gigantic, one Kindle book file so gigantic that when I tried to send it to Amazon, Amazon said this can't be a book. It's much too large. <laughs> I, know, Try I tried again. to send it like three times, and I was like, nope, sorry, <laughs> nope, it's too big. It's wow. too insanely big. I haven't read. I haven't read it. I've heard from people who read it and said they liked it when it started, and then. And over time, it just kind of kept on going, and they and they dropped out. The author died, and then they brought in Brandon Sanderson to finish it. And because it had never been nominated for a Hugo before, it was eligible in this loophole in the rules to be nominated as a complete serialized work. So it's in the category mm-hmm. and uh, as a whole, as all the books. I don't, I don't think technically it's a loophole because it is spelled mm-hmm. out in the rules. It is right. just part of it's the a rules, ridiculous so it's, rule. Then it is not a ridiculous a rule. It is not a loophole. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> well, it, it, it it's a rule that makes sense if you think about I think what it was supposed to be for for serialized works like like the Green Mile, which was published bit by bit. Exactly, and actually a winner yeah. uh, a few years ago, Connie Willis's Blackout and All Clear, which was literally a novel chopped in half and published. Well, I mean they didn't publish it and then cut the books in half. They chopped the manuscript <laughs> in half and published it as two books. I, I just want to be clear about that but it was one story and it was nominated together and it won and that was a perfectly uh, reasonable i would say use but this is decades of books uh stitched together into one nominee um anybody out there read enough of this to make a comment about the wheel of time i attempted to read the first book many years ago and i got about 200 pages in and the, the character was like still trying to walk out of his village and i thought okay <laughs> I'm done. All right. <laughs> and, uh, you, nothing you got further happened. than I did. Yes. I love 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 the journey song though. Wheel in the sky keeps on turning. <laughs> oh, no. I really wanted to read the first and last book and see if I could guess what had happened in between <laughs> and if there were any characters in common. <laughs> wow. But that was a funnier idea than that's actually. Called, that's called tweening than practical. Just tweening between the two books. <laughs> see what happened in the meantime. Just a computer could do that. All right. Well, the wheel of time is there. I didn't. I didn't tackle it either. I might try to read some of the first book just to get a sense of it before I put, cast my vote. But I, I can't talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, another book that got nominated was Ancillary Justice. We've already talked about this on at least. I think three episodes of The Incomparable because it was a Scott recommendation for the best of his favorite book from last year. And then we did an episode where half of it was to us talking about it. And then in our Nebula Awards episode, it, it was nominated for and won the Nebula Award. Uh, we also said very nice things about it there. Uh, oh, that's right. I can go back and listen to all three of those episodes now. <laughs> Hooray. <Yay>. So Ed, <laughs> it'll get my vote for the Hugo. Yeah. I think the worst thing I'd say about it was that it seemed like there were too many ideas in it. Which 
I now think is a good thing. That's not a that's of, of, of all criticism. That's not so bad. <laughs> Erica, did you read Ancillary Justice? I did. Yep. I managed to finish it like just under the wire. I think it was last night I finished it. What, what did you think? <laughs> to, I, I really liked it. I It was not an easy read. It actually felt like a little bit of a slog from time to time, but it was very much worth the effort, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I agree with Monty. I think it does have maybe a few too many things thrown in that made it needlessly complicated like as we said on one of the previous episodes i feel like while the the fact that the language that the the character is speaking doesn't have any concept of gender and so uh, she is used to describe every character in the book except at a couple very specific points um i thought that was an interesting idea it brought to mind the left hand of darkness at the same time Mm -hmm. i felt the book was much more about like personality and identity than actually about gender and i felt like it was an interesting trick and yet didn't seem as connected to what the book was about as some of the other stuff that's in there. So it, it felt like an idea too much. See, I think you're right that it wasn't connected, but that was why I liked it. I feel like <laughs> if, if it had been, if it had, if that had been one of the things that they were sort of, she was hitting us over the head with, I think then it would have been one idea too much. But I like the idea that that was just, just sort of part Thrown of the background there. tapestry yeah. of this world and just something you had to learn to accept. It's also the first book in that she's written and the first book, obviously, in this universe that she's going to revisit. And it, it, you know, it's hard to differentiate the trappings of the universe and the culture from what happens in this book and i imagine that that the the gender um stuff is more about the the culture that she's built up here than it is actually about what the book is but you can't tell because there's only the one book right now so we can't tell it's a good book though you should read it that's that's what we're saying here is you should read it it's a good book yeah stop listening to this podcast and read read. no 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 you should listen (laughs) keep listening to find other books to read too oh that's right there is a there's a short story in, in the same universe. Right. Oh. Uh, but the next novel is not out yet. No. All right. Uh, Neptune's Brood by Charles Strauss, which is a sequel, sort of, well, no, not a sequel, set in the same universe as Saturn's Children, which was nominated a few years ago, which I read, uh, but uh, totally unconnected, honestly, and you don't need to have read one to have read the other. And this is a wild space. This is not Charles Strauss's pr- near future Scotland kind of thing or tech you know near-term tech focus this is his wild crazy um uh, broad space opera sort of thing and yet boring scott fair enough (laughs) expand on that please (laughs) i just felt like i was reading uh an a a book about economics that had fallen through Mm. some kind of time hole and ended up on my desk uh with a little story put into it to uh, pad it so that I could learn about slow money and fast money and medium money and how the banks and Bitcoin work and, and Bitcoin. And I was like, I don't care about any of this. I don't understand what this character is doing. She's uh, like a, 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 what is it, a financial archivist uh, who is looking for some kind of uh, laundered money. Uh, and I just didn't like it. Hmm. I, I kind of liked it. I see what you're saying completely. It is... I was laughing at several points and trying to explain to my wife, this book I'm reading is essentially about an accountant, (laughs) a space, but a space accountant, (laughs) a space forensic accountant and, 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 and a space, uh, con game. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and then at some point she's turned into a mermaid 
Right. And <laughs> in order to find out the, more about the <laughs> space. To find some financial documents. Yes, seriously. It is. Oh, it, wow. it, so I was I was kind of amazed by just how wild a uh, a conglomeration of ideas this was, because you haven't even mentioned the um, the par- the parasite or not parasite, the pirates. The space oh, the, pirates, the, the, the space accountant pirates, who are actually account also accountants, <sighs> or the and the like space mon- and like monkey people or dog people or something too. They're like animal animal pirate yeah, accountants. They're bats. Wow. Bat, they're bat people. That's what they are. And none of them are actually people. That's right, because people are meat. Yeah, that's right. Yes. They're, they're that's actually a really nice point too. That the uh, that human beings in Neptune's brood are in this universe are extinct essentially and there's there's a cult that kind of like keeps them around uh, reconstitutes them every now and then but they can't seem to keep them alive we're like the humans are like the guinea pigs of this world where you try to kill the oh it's died it died again yes so i mean i thought it was ambitious but uh not for me yeah i i I don't know i like the the it it's a noirish kind of MacGuffin plot uh, with all these bizarre economics thrown in, and like I said, I, I I enjoyed the fact that this character is bouncing from place to place in this crazy widescreen sci-fi universe um, enough that the fact that then we would have a chapter explaining future economics didn't bother me so much. But it's totally a weird book. Erica, did you read this yeah. one? Um, I read the excerpt that was provided ah. by Orbit into the uh, Hugo packet. I'm, honestly, I'm not even sure I quite got to the end of that. I think maybe <laughs> I did. And it was, I felt like it was, it was very well written. Like it was a good mm-hmm. use of words and it was an interesting world, but I just didn't feel connected to it in any way. It was too much work for me to, to figure out what was going on as I was reading it. Like I said, Ancillary Justice was a little sloggy at times. This was also very sloggy. The difference was I was interested in what was happening in Ancillary Justice, and I wanted to find out what this world was like and what happened next. And it was kind of the opposite in in Neptune's Brood. I just I really didn't care. So if I have time before voting is, is closed, I may go back and, and try to finish it kind of out of morbid curiosity you didn't care that the main character got to the mystery of what was in those ledger books <laughs> there is there is a key scene on a on a moon of neptune or no, moon of jupiter where there's uh books in a library that have important numbers written on them and then there is a descent in deep into the depths of a giant ocean um in order to find out more about accounting so yeah <laughs> yeah you're not selling it to me so maybe i yeah. maybe well, i'll stick with the wheel of time I, to, to I, fill up i think the descent weeks. into wow. the depths i think the descent into the depths is actually a pretty interesting part of the book it's it's a it's a nice kind of climax to the book but you cannot deny the fact that what they're really doing is trying to find information to be exchanged about financial transactions so it's crazy <laughs> It is a bizarre, bizarre book, but I kind of enjoyed it. But um, because I, I, I was along for the ride of the, the of the of the wacky plot, but man, there is a lot of of, of uh, monetary policy in there too. Yeah. If I had read it in a vacuum without cramming it in with a bunch of other books that I was actively comparing it to, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more, just because it would have. I think maybe filled the space a little bit better. It would have been distracting though to read it in a vacuum because of that loud sucking noise. <laughs> no, that's just Oy. near Grant's book. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you. And good night. Sorry. So we have two more books to talk about. Um, I want to. I, I actually just finished um, Warbound by Larry Correa, which you know. Okay, so there's some controversy about the Hugo nominations this year because there's this feeling that there was sort of a slate of candidates who were sort of 
conservative Republican or right wingers or moderates or whatever you could or libertarians or whatever there. But there was a sort of ideological push. And the feeling is that some of these people are on on the nominations list because there was a slate that was uh, put out there that people voted for. I believe Larry Correa, the author of Warbound, is one of those people. Um, I believe he was kind of I think at he, the head he, of it. I think he maybe did the slate. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Warbound is book three of the Grim Noir Chronicles, which is so a series. I did not read the other two books, but I did read all of Warbound. Did anybody else read this book? I read it. What did you think, Scott? Mm-hmm. I thought it was better than its title was. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> it, I, I also okay. agree. The, ti- the, title, the title is – Erica, did you read it? I I haven't finished it. Uh, um, I b- briefly rage quit, and then I will come back to it. <laughs> I will come back to it again if I have time. It's it, well. First off, it should be called like Spellbound or something because there's a character in it who's got this spellbound thing. But it's called Warbound. Like we're off to war, sort we're of, and war. it's not a very good. Okay, so that we don't like the title. Go ahead, Scott. Like uh, I thought it was entertaining. I mean, I don't think. So my problem with the Hugos, and we've talked about this before, is that I always thought of them kind of like science fiction's answer to the Oscars, but they're really the People's Choice Awards, uh, which are far less prestigious. Uh, So, I mean, if people like to read this kind of stuff, which I think they do, it's easy to read, uh, I can see how it can be appealing to some folks. Uh, I read it very quickly, so... I didn't yeah. rage quit, so that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was entertaining, kind of like bubblegum, kind of, you know, kind of uh, a paperback. I could imagine, like, in the, the 50s, seeing this in a, a drugstore for, like, a nickel. Um, I, I liked – so I, I, I thought it was perfectly competently done. Um, I, I thought uh, there were aspects of it that I thought were, were quite clever – uh, just in the sense that it's set in this world of magic, but um, w- the way magic really works is he describes it at several points as being it's more like physics that is multidimensional and hard to understand. So there's this component of uh, on top of it. It's like this isn't just, well, there's magic. It's sort of like trying to explain it in that there are creatures that live in the other dimensions that are battling. And what we see as this m- emergence of magic is actually this battle between these two different kind of creatures, one of wh- whom is the prey of of the other one i thought that was all kind of interesting the characters are flat he's trying to he's trying to give it this honestly on a marketing level he's trying to give it this hard-edged noir detective feel um i think in part because he feels like that's a really cool genre and knowing a little bit about the politics at work here i have to say it i think he is afraid to commit to it being steampunk which is actually what it is because steampunk is perceived as being kind of more girly and lefty than perhaps a conservative republican author would like to be involved with but i gotta say this is a steam this reads like steampunk magic to me not like hard-bitten noir detective and the main character i you know i I get the sense that he's trying to come across as this hard-bitten former pi and it doesn't play that way to me it plays much more as a a fantasy with it's got airships in it for god's sake it is it does and (laughs) and buckminster fuller building some kind of crazy uh, gadgets crazy gadgets so yeah but i i enjoyed all that there there was a moment early on where one of the characters actually picking up from last 
episode where we talked about Yankee Doodle Dandy and uh, the the framing sequence involving Roosevelt. There is a sequence involving Teddy or uh, Franklin Roosevelt in this too, and, and that was the moment where I almost rage quit the book, Erica, because that's the moment. That's the moment where Roosevelt's like, oh, well, you know, the, Roosevelt's basically a cartoon villain, and we're going to put all the people in camps who have magic. We're going to round them up and put them in camps. Mm-hmm. And and the and the main character, he's not. It turns out not the main character. One of the characters says uh, something about. I, I've learned that the government always comes to take your stuff and government is the enemy. It must be something like, oh, geez, here we go. Who is John Galt? <laughs> and honestly, that's sort of all that I ended up getting from that. It sort of went, it abated and then it never came back. But that was that moment where I was rolling my eyes like, yes, mm. Franklin Roosevelt is a cartoon villain telling you all the evils of government in the middle of a war, which he was really bad at wars. You know, Roosevelt, he was very bad at those. So. <laughs> Oh well, didn't win until he died. Um, well, I was I was rolling my eyes pretty hard at, at that point. Yeah, that was not the moment that I raged. With, but. <laughs> <laughs> Time for one of our fine sponsors on the Incomparable, and it is a returning sponsor that we like a whole lot. It's Lynda.com. You know, this is the place that you go if you want to learn something. Quite frankly, almost anything you can think of in the tech. Uh, space. You can learn from a video course at lynda.com. Lynda.com gives me the confidence to say that because it's got more than 2,000 high-quality and engaging video series in its catalog. And when you're a subscriber to lynda.com, you get access to all of them, every course, every chapter of every course. And who puts these courses together? The experts, the people who know this stuff cold, industry experts. These are not people who read a book and are now turning it into a video series. These are also not people who retreat down into a smelly basement, set up a camcorder, turn on a really yellow, weird, compact fluorescent light, and then stare into a camera and describe you how to do things like uh, those YouTube videos that are out there. You know the ones I'm talking about. They have a state-of-the-art video studio. They have incredible web technology that puts the stuff with transcripts and chapter markers. So not only do you get more than 2,000 courses, but they are incredibly well-produced courses. And the subject matter, you name it. There's Apple-specific stuff, iOS, Mavericks. Presumably, there's a Yosemite course coming. I don't want to pre-announce anything from them. iOS 7, presumably iOS 8. There's software like Microsoft Office, the Adobe Creative Suite, Apple's Pro Apps. I've learned a lot of Logic stuff, for example, by which I use to edit this podcast, by looking at lynda.com. And when I built our website, I learned about responsive design. There are all sorts of web design things, JavaScript, CSS, and other web design stuff there, all the way down to business stuff, hobbies. And uh, I didn't even mention programming. I mentioned web development, app development, databases, game design, you name it. lynda.com has courses that can make you an expert because you're listening to the experts. And all for the low price monthly $25 a month access to the entire library but i've got good news for you my friends you get access for 7 days to everything on lynda.com absolutely free and here's how you do it you visit lynda.com/incomparable that's l y n d a.com/incomparable you'll get a free 7 day trial of everything on lynda.com that's lynda.com l-y-n-d-a.com slash incomparable and thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting the incomparable what did you what so what made you rich quit it was later on where uh they're they're getting onto this airship that is crewed by pirates and all kinds of real tough guys and they're going to go off and 
do some some crazy tough guy stuff. And the main character, uh, who's at that point, uh, we're hearing the story from his perspective, is talking about why there are no women on the ship because the fairer sex really shouldn't be oh, involved yeah. in this kind of oh, this yeah. kind of stuff. Except there's one woman already on the ship because she was already a member of the pirates. Right. Um, but strangely, the first time he met her, she tried to seduce him. I was just like, Lady Whoa. Origami. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so there's good. There are going to be no other characters that I can relate to at all. I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading the bit of the book that I did until I got to that point because it was fun. Actually, the was, most powerful character in the book is a woman. Yes, and I did yes. pick that up at the beginning, but I, it's yeah, one of those I, I, too I, I, little, I, I, too late sort of things. Yeah, I, I mean, some of the, some of it. that is the perspective of the character versus the perspective of the book, and since it's set in this alt reality mm-hmm. 20s the fact that this guy might actually be a sexist pig is like well i could kind of get right. that but i don't know absolutely yeah i have no tr- i have no problem with characters in books having different opinions for me that's fine but the fact that this was one of the main characters and there was clearly going to be a pretty significant part of the plot line yes. centering around this airship and, and what was going on there to recognize that it was it was gonna be one big sausage party i was just mm-hmm. kind of like well um yeah, that's not really what I'm what I'm signing up <laughs> yep. for. So yep. I will I will pass. So I read the whole thing and I thought it was competently done. And you know I haven't read enough sci-fi novels this year to say definitively that it wasn't one of the five best. But I have a hard time believing it was one it, of the five. It best. wasn't yeah. one of the five best. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I mean, it wasn't awful. Yeah, but, it wasn't uh, awful. As an airship. For, well, for, could, it, are there zeppelins? Yes. Yes. There are. Um, <laughs> yeah. So check, check for Larry Correa. But I mean, for people who would say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to read these books that were nominated by this slate and all that. We read it and, you know, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. And again, I will probably come back yeah. to it if if I have time. I, I'm actually kind of intrigued by the first two books. I probably won't read them having jumped in in book three. But I, I, like I said, I kind of <laughs> like some of the word, world building here, especially that I think he did. Absolutely. It's, it's a well-crafted, a well-crafted world. And yeah. I, I mm-hmm. kind of wanted to play a little bit more in it, which is why I was, I think, extra ragey when I got mm-hmm. to that point. Because I was <laughs> yeah. like, really? I've been having fun here. Yeah. And now this. Yeah. <laughs> and if this were the first book, uh, I probably would have read the second and third book. Yeah. But since I've read the third book... I don't really feel that I need to read the first and second book because I know how it's going to end. Yeah, I kind of know what the revelations are of the first (laughs) two books. So, yeah. Yeah, read the first book and then guess what happens in between. That's right. We call that the Monty. The the full Monty. (laughs) Actually, no, no, it would technically be the partial Monty, wouldn't it? Yeah, fractional Monty because you don't read the middles. All right. Let's let's move on. So so uh, an author who has been a participant in every single one of these is Mira Grant, who was nominated again. This for her new trilogy, uh, which is the Parasitology oh, trilogy, because we put an end to Newsflash last uh, last year. And uh, but Mira Grant is back. This of course is the uh, pen name for Shauna McGuire, who has written a lot of other stuff too. But she writes under Mira Grant this series uh, of books, uh, just as she did the Newsflash series, which was about zombies and bloggers. And this was Parasite. Now. Uh, Scott and I have been on the record as not liking Ms. Grant's work in the past. I'm not um, sure that came across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are a little too subtle about it, I think. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? Uh, but Erica, did you, I know you, I saw that you took it out from the library. I did. So do you have thoughts about Parasite? <laughs> I do. I really, really liked it. I, I, as a matter of fact, I read the excerpt. This podcast is over. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm summarily kicked off the incomparable. It's been nice talking to you guys. 
We had They're one good. rule. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I hate to say someone's opinion is wrong. Hugo nominees all stick together. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. The fix is in. I read the excerpt and I wanted so badly to keep on reading that I immediately the next day went out and checked out the book from the library. And I will say that I genuinely loved about the first half of it. And then things started changing and, and stuff started happening mm. a little bit fast and furious. And I didn't I, I wasn't quite as on board for the, the second half of it, but I still enjoyed it a lot. And I would say that of all of the, the books and the bits of the books and novels and novellas and novelettes that I've read, that and Ancillary Justice are the two that, like, when I wasn't reading them, I wished I was reading them. Mm. And I think actually even more than Ancillary Justice, Parasite has popped into my head afterwards. Mm. I mean, I'm sure you guys wish you hadn't had to read <laughs> Parasite. I'm wishing I hadn't read it simply so that I could read it again for uh, the first time. Uh, so, mm-hmm. here, so here's what I'd say is – um, I see a progression. I've said this in, when we read the third newsflash book. I see a progression in these books where I feel like she is a better writer every time out. Um, I think I think the quality of the writing was much better here. I thought um, a lot. There are still things that bug me about her style. I still feel like she could really use a good editor uh, because I think that there's redundancy. I think there's too much kind of stuff that happens that is un just totally unnecessary what i said about one of the newsflash books is like literally when we're going from one end of a building to another and nothing happens in between but we're going to walk you through every corridor that happens i feel like there's still some of that um and it's very chatty which i don't i don't love i think if you if you really fall into liking that voice um it works Mm -hmm. better um and it kind of graded on me at times but i think i think this is so much better than feed (laughs) um my big, my biggest problem with it is that I feel like she wrote the entire book expecting that the ending would be a surprise, and it's obvious from the first sentence, if not from the book cover, what the story is going to be. And mm-hmm. I felt like either it, either she should do the one, commit to one or the other, but in, it didn't work for me because I felt like the entire way through, um, I, I felt like she thought I was dumb, so dumb that I wasn't going to figure out what was going on when it was. Oh, see, I didn't. Blind, I didn't get like that the, at all. Like I got all that. I I really thought that she, I didn't think that she was thinking she was going to be surprising the reader. I just got that it was the character who mm. was surprised at the end, uh, and all the way along that it was like we as the readers were in on the joke and we're just watching this poor soul. Which I, that is the biggest reason that I like this book was this this main character. This out of all of the things that I have read this year, and not even just for the Hugos, this is the character that was to me the most well realized, the most like real person she reacted to things the way that i do and my and people i know do she spoke the way my friends talk this was this was a person that i could picture actually you know meeting and knowing and you know maybe that's not the most fantastical thing in the world but it definitely makes for a better reading experience for me i really I connected with a character. And I think as I said on our television wrap-up episode, for me, that's what the, the most important thing is, is to have a character that I can, can root for, that I can get behind, that I can connect to in some way. I think you need better friends. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh, Scott. Oh, wow. Okay, let, <laughs> a low blow. let us, let us, let us have it, Scott. I'm a kid. Uh, I did not enjoy this book. <laughs> I, I read the whole thing. Uh, I did also get, uh, like Jason was saying, that I thought the ending was supposed to be a surprise, uh, which makes no sense. And I thought all the characters who couldn't figure it out, uh, who were supposed to be these uh, experts on parasites and, you know, 
epidemiology and all this all this stuff and they couldn't figure out what was going on what are you talking about they knew way before the end of the book she was the only one sal was the only character who didn't know and she should have known because it is obvious if you've ever been through a really truly traumatic experience you would not say that well i have read mary grant books so does that count Oh my! I, I was waiting for that. I'm, 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 I'm more on Scott's side here. I have to admit, I, I feel like uh, everybody seems to be uh, too many steps behind here, and that it feels like it's trying to be a little more clever than it actually is. When we get to the, when we get to that point, I do again. See, this is all a matter of degree. I, I you know, the blistering hate I, I felt for Feed. I do not feel for Parasite. Uh, she's a better writer than she was. It's it, it, you're, I think you're right, Erica, that this character has a very clear voice. I don't, I don't love the voice, like I said, I, that um, are really is her writing style. I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I think it's, uh, it, it, it grates on me. I have to say, I think that where, where that's where Scott is coming from. But said like le- slightly less of a misanthrope than Scott obviously is. <laughs> That is also true. The the also I have a problem with some of the hand waving that I've seen these same stunts in the previous books. There's a lot of like my dad works for the government doing governmenty things Ugh. and all of that where there's sort of like there's big organizations that are doing shadowy things and they just happen to be super important to the plot but it's a coincidence that this all happened and I you know I I rolled my eyes at some of that because it's it's very I feel like she's got the nut of an interesting idea here, and I actually do think it's a really interesting idea. I actually like the world building here even more than I liked it in Newsflesh, which I thought that the best thing about Newsflesh was the world she built. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of detail here that's interesting. I think the way that the story is 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 spooled out, um, like I said, I I, I think she, I, I felt like she needed an editor, and I I, I felt like we were. Um, way too far ahead of the characters but you know yeah, I've, I've never actually read anything else by her this was my first uh my first experience reading any of her books under any name uh, of any type mm. so i didn't really have anything to compare it to and i and i guess i guess the the hand waving and the big you know shadowy uh, government machinations and stuff that is <laughs> to to uh to use a phrase it's kind of in my butter zone so oh no i was <laughs> So I really didn't have a problem with that. Actually, it was it was just kind of like candy to me. I just sort of lapped the whole thing up because all of that stuff. I I very much enjoy a novel that I can just sit down and read, and I'm just excited about what what the people are going to do next. Not so ne- so much right. what happens next, which is why the the second half of the book um, uh, sort of went downhill for me. Uh, uh, I know, agree a with certain that. Character meets meets his mother, and then all of a sudden he, things just things started happening a little get, too fast for me. I I actually told my wife halfway through. I don't know. I kind of think this book is okay. I don't know what's going on here. And then I read the second half and I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, but there was one one part of this book that infuriated me uh, that ruined the whole book for me. And perhaps it, without this scene, I would not dislike it so much. But it is when they are driving across the Golden Gate Bridge and they can't make a phone call <laughs> because they're in a Faraday cage, which is not true. Your mm-hmm. cell phone works on a bridge. It does. Uh, and then the, the, there's some kind of tracking device on them that does work, but their cell phones don't. It makes no sense. No, it was, and it just drove It was me the crazy. other way around. They were blocking the tracking device, and then suddenly the cell phone rings and they get a call. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. So they were using Bluetooth, so, and it was like, what? This None of this makes sense. And yeah, if I'll you give can't me that. get these, <laughs> these basic things, how can I trust anything uh, that you're trying to spin in these books and just drove me crazy. Well, I will say this for her. Um, she 
she has young female protagonists in all of her novels, and the voice oh, cool. is very strong in all of those characters. And I can see why she has fans, uh, presumably a lot of fans in that demographic, because that's she's good at that. That's that's she totally that is what these books are all about. And, and man, it's too bad her other books are about zombies because I yeah. do not care and, about zombies and bloggers, <laughs> zombies and bloggers, and how oh, they boy. two great tastes that taste great together. These are zombie-ish. Sort <laughs> no, they're much nicer than zombies. These tapeworms. That in this book, Jason, you you touched on another thing that I really liked about it was just sort of the idea uh, behind this book. I mean, even without spoiling anything, at the beginning, this character has amnesia and doesn't remember anything. Yeah. And I loved thinking about w- what life would be like with absolutely no past, having to relearn everything from scratch. And it just that idea has haunted me ever since I read this book. Yeah. Actually, that was my favorite thing about about the book was that the main character is trying really hard to live down this other person who she was mm-hmm. not who is this who was in her in her body but uh you know she's got to live down all the stupid things that 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 that, that the previous tenant of this body did uh, I, I thought that was pretty cool yeah like i said it haunts me i didn't i didn't really buy the whole oh she's six years old and she doesn't know anything yeah. except what she's learned in six years but then she knows all these phrases that she some phrases is are perplexing to her but other phrases like colloquial phrases she knows and uh she and then i found i find mira grant has these she likes to write about these weird uncomfortable sexual relationships and That's i found true. like this uh, <laughs> this woman who is basically we're told has the the mentality of a six year old, although she is uh, legal of legal age, has a very intense relationship with her boyfriend, which I found uncomfortable, uh, and her parents find it uncomfortable too. So I thought that was good, but I was just like, oh, this is kind of gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't find it gross because she didn't have the mentality of a six year old. No, she had the you know the personal history like a, of a of right, a six year old. The the again again one of the the problems I have with it is sort of like there are people who are it's like those movies the low budget movies where they say he's in the military and they don't specify what service and they, there's like a green jumpsuit and it's like sure <laughs> that's a uniform it's a little bit like that where where it's sort of like he's in from the military and he works for the government and there's this big corporation and then her boyfriend is he's a he's a parasitologist and it's like wow the five the five characters that you need to have to tell this story are five characters close to her interesting right it's just it's it strains it a little bit but you know you ignore those things if it's working for you and you and you pay very close attention to them if it's not (laughs) and thus the spell is broken and that is that's just how it goes it's true but i could understand how someone would like this book yeah yeah in a way in a way you know do you do you agree with me scott that there's some progress here over the course of the the arc of uh of uh, mira grant i I hope that i can stop following mira grant's progress (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I, I I will say that she is getting better. Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, Ancillary Justice is going to get my vote here. So, and Scott's. So. And mine. I uh, mean, all right. Oh, Parasite will be number two, though. I will okay. put that out oh, there. I'm going to yep. have uh, no award and then Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I may actually go Ancillary Justice and then... Uh, Neptune's Brood, and then Warbound, and then probably No Award, followed by Parasite and the Wheel of Time. Just mm-hmm. stick oh, there. but no, no, no! If you're voting No Award, don't put anything underneath it, or your votes could actually go oh. to the things you put under No Award. Well, Be very careful in the way you vote for the Hugos. Okay, fair enough. Mm. I, I just like to put things below No Award because I feel like it, it's like an extra burn. But yeah, yeah you're right. It's probably that, not not actually <laughs> except good. Except that you might actually end up voting for them because that's how the math works. Yeah. 
Mm. It's tricky. Ooh, speaking of how the math works, I just want to make a little plea to everybody who can vote to vote for all of the quote unquote like little or second half categories. So, you know, yeah. fan artist, fan writer, all of those things. This is going to be the biggest world con in history. And if a category in the Hugos does not get at least 25% of the voting numbers, like not 25% of the people who vote for anything have to vote for each category in order for it to be carried over. Yeah. So, you know, Ouch. it would suck oh, for the oh. best fan artist or say best fan cast to not even have an award put forward because not enough people voted in the category. Hey, folks, I want to take a break to tell you about something that you should try audiobooks. You're listening to a podcast right now. Podcasts are great ways to hear people like us talking about things that you're interested in. But, you know, you got to leave a little time for fiction in your life. And that's where audiobooks can be great. There's also great nonfiction that comes in book form, things that people have taken a lot of time. Trust me, take it from me. Writing is hard. You want to write really well. And then, you know, people want to listen to your stuff instead of read it. What do you do? You put it in an audiobook. There are lots of great audiobooks out there, lots of great sci-fi stuff. This episode is about the Hugo nominees. So I went back and I was looking at some favorites that you could check out. Uh, Embassy Town by China Mieville, we talked about on a previous show. It was a Hugo nominee. Uh, Mieville's City and the City, which we talked about in, our, I think, our very first episode. There's a great audiobook of that. The George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones stuff, Dance with Dragons, was a Hugo nominee a few years ago. Those are all available as audiobooks. You should give them a try. And there's a great place that I want to tell you about where you can get started. And it is www.tryaudiobooks.com. That's that simple. www.tryaudiobooks.com slash incomparable. Do that and they'll know that we sent you there. And you can find different stuff that you like. That site has got a lot of different suggestions in a bunch of different genres. If there's something you want to listen to while you're cooking or in the garden, they put it out there sort of by like what mood you're in. It's a really clever idea. Try audiobooks. So you should try audiobooks. So visit www.tryaudiobooks.com slash incomparable today. Check out the China Mieville. Check out George R.R. Martin. Check out Douglas Adams. There's just so many things to try. And if you haven't listened to an audiobook before, you should really give it a go. It's a totally different way to read a book. And I encourage you to check it out. So thank you so much to tryaudiobooks.com for sponsoring The Incomparable. Uh, let us move on. And what should we do? Should we let's touch on the let's let's shift gears for a moment and touch about on the retro Hugo novels while we can just to bring David and Monty into the conversation briefly. Um, the, before dismissing before, them again, before you will be sent to the cornfield again, uh, the the retro Hugo's from 1939, Carson of Venus by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Galactic Patrol by E. E. Smith, The Legion of Time by Jack Williamson, Out of the Silent Planet by C. S. Lewis, and The Sword in the Stone by T. H. White. I've read three of those, but but two of them when I was a teenager, and only Galactic Patrol have I read recently. Monty. What are, you, what are you thinking about the retro Hugo novels? Well, first, I think that Sword in the Stone should not have been nominated as it is part of a larger book. It doesn't get published separately anymore. It's kind of the opposite of the Wheel of Time situation. Ah. All right. Ah. Yeah, because it's, it's part of Once and Future King. Right. Yeah. I also think yeah. it's probably going to win because Worldcon is in London, and it's hard to get more London-y than the Once and <laughs> Future King. <laughs> right. Plus, that's one that people have heard of. So yes. if they're not trying very hard, they may just throw that on there. Yeah, there was a Disney movie made of this book. Yes, that's pretty good. Which, reading the book, it made sense to me because I did not much <laughs> like it. It's really goofy. 
but a lot of the humor comes from anachronisms, but the anachronisms no longer work on me. Because there's things like referring to two knights as though they are British public school boys in the 1930s, <laughs> which when you read it as a British person in the 1930s, you get a fun contradiction there of, oh, they're old timey people, but they're behaving like modern times. But to me, reading it in 2014, it's old timey people behaving slightly less old timely. <laughs> and that's a lot of the humor in that book, I thought. What what else? What else struck your fancy here? Uh, well, I really liked Galactic Patrol. I thought it was super fun space opera. And I can really see where Green Lantern came from. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the Lensman books I've never read. I've read about them, but I read Galactic Patrol. And it, it was very clear to me reading it how this sort of stuff. Uh, first off, I saw the line from this to something like Foundation. Oh yeah, where where exactly. which was written what yeah. ten years in later? Fifties, uh, 10, 10, 12 years later. Not that long, really, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Where there are no characters, <laughs> sure. and there's just sort of playing out of plot. There's no characters, and it's all about like ideas about crazy things that will happen, and and details of how engines that are totally made up work and stuff <laughs> like that. That's very much like uh, you know, it's about engineering and about actions and big dreams, and not about sort of like human beings at all but i you know i and i also felt like i could i could see how this influenced if it didn't influence gene roddenberry directly it influenced the people who influenced gene roddenberry and the other people who made star trek because it has that feel in terms of a lot of the terminology is about screens and beams and things like that that are exactly the words that are used in in the original star trek my copy of galactic patrol says this on the cover ee e. doc smith galactic patrol the famous Lensman series, and then at the bottom of the cover, it just says "spaceships and space pirates," <laughs> which is a one hundred percent accurate, accurate description of what you're getting. Well, yeah. If, yeah. if you read that and you go, "Oh boy, spaceships and space pirates," this book delivers. Yep, Although, <laughs> that's what it says on the tin. Yeah, you you could say that they're not really pirates, but you know, are they accountants? They're. they're <laughs> There is very little discussion of the galaxy-wide economy in yeah. this. Uh, I did think it was really interesting that this one book, practically in the first two pages, named two giant science fiction conventions. Because you have the planet of mm. Moscone, which is a giant science fiction convention in Boston. And you also have the planet of Arisia, which is another giant science fiction convention mm. now. I, uh, I, Erica, we were talking about... Uh, use of female characters in the Larry Correa book. I, I have good news for you. Uh-huh. There are, there, there are, there is, well, there's one female character in Galactic <laughs> Patrol. She's a nurse. And oh, great. the love interest. Uh, oh, my heart. It hurts. She's, she's actually quite good at her job, but, okay, um, well, but her, but large portions of her job are being held hostage. Yeah. Well, she's not just the love interest. <laughs> she also gets mad at the hero in a scene. I kind of liked where we're just told straight up, this guy's too heroic to be a good patient, so he's going to be a huge jerk to you. Yes. She goes, <laughs> and she says, yeah, we get that a lot, military nurse. And then that's exactly how it plays out. Yes. But wow. Then, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the <laughs> moment that really struck me is early on, there's the lengthy graduation ceremony for the people <laughs> at the Lensman Academy, where it's the top thousand people from around the world. Well, let me rephrase that. The top thousand men from around the world, because it's all men. <laughs> 
And then at the end, literally, they graduate and are taken to a secret room where they're going to be given, and I kid you not, the the smoking implement of their choice, and then told all the secrets of the galaxy. And I'm like, wow. Wow, I, I, I think there's probably some mahogany in that room and perhaps some maybe snifters Maybe a padded well. door. Yeah, it's, it, it is. And I think maybe some wildlife heads mounted on uh, things I, on the wall. I was just going to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Many leather-bound tomes. Yeah. So it feels it, it, it feels really 75 years old. <laughs> and uh, But the thing that there are just no characters. It is literally like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And, uh, yeah. you know. It was. Uh, I read the whole thing, which I didn't think I would do, and it was <laughs> it's pretty short. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Monty. It felt like it went on forever. <laughs> oh. uh, but I, I, I can totally see how this was influential in, uh, a, 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 you know, in in what came after. Even though it seemed, you know, yeah, there are spaceships and space pirates. That's totally true. And there's a guy who is really a genius and can figure out anything. Like literally. The main character can figure out anything and does figure out everything in the entire book. Yep. <laughs> uh, then there's another very British entry, C.S. Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is described here as first in the celebrated space trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I think it says something about how old this book is that it, you could just name the trilogy the space trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and how celebrated was it that I haven't heard of it? So, so this my my experience without the Silent Planet is that I read the entire Narnia series, and then mm-hmm. I found out. Wait a second, you mean I love science fiction even more than fantasy? You mean C.S. Lewis wrote science fiction novels? Let me at him! And then I read out of the Silent Planet, <laughs> and I went, eh. yeah, <laughs> that, that is yeah, how it felt. It's pleasant, and I mean, I I read all three because my mother loved them, and and you know, being C.S. Lewis, they're drenched in theology. Oh yeah, and so, Out of the Silent Planet has a plot uh, where the second book does not. Um, and then the third book is like this weird dystopian Orwellian fantasy set in England, which is really good. I love the third book. I didn't really feel like I had to have read the first two books to get to that. Oh. Yeah. Um, and the main character in the first two books is sort of a background character in the third one. So, it's like, just just go to that hideous strength and... Don't worry about the first two. Yeah. Uh, The book involves somebody being laboriously kidnapped to another planet where (laughs) he immediately escapes (laughs) his evil captors. Yep. And then wanders around meeting fairly interesting alien creatures. Like, yes, I, I didn't like the book much, but I did like the effort that was put in to make the alien societies really feel different from earth societies yeah and both both in this and paralandra they are two of the only books i've read where the aliens feel truly alien if that makes sense but there's no plot (laughs) (laughs) and then later there's basically space angels yes okay (laughs) so so like uh like uh um a wrinkle in time then no, but that had a plot. <laughs> yes, but that's good. That's that good, had a yeah. plot and people you really liked and but wanted space to spend angels. more time with. Space angels. It had those. And space angels. All and, right. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there are oh, no Earth angels. women in Out of the Silent Planet, but some of the aliens are sort of kind of female. <laughs> Sweet. Oh. Well, okay then. There you go. Nice. 
So Monty, passes the Bechdel test. Monty, what's your uh, what's your uh, judgment? You're voting for Galactic Patrol. I'm definitely voting for Galactic Patrol. It was the only one that I really enjoyed reading. <laughs> seventy five years is a long time. A lot of stuff just falls apart after seventy five years. You it know? is like say Carson of Venus by yeah. Mister Edgar, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Now. The story of Carson of Venus is that he's a guy who set out to Mars, but took a wrong turn and ended up on Venus instead. Which is <laughs> weird. a wrong turn. Because it's in the other direction. He left a signal Albuquerque. He's, he cur- curved, curled all the way back around. So I assumed that this was going to be just like the Mars books, but cleverly transported to a different planet. But really, it's a lot more like the Tarzan books, mm, yes. where Carson is the white man dealing with all these Venusian savages. Awesome. I did not like it. (laughs) (laughs) And Carson sounds like Tarzan. I mean, it's not that far off. Yeah, that's Uh, like his, his, uh, his agent or his publisher was like, Eddie, Eddie. They they love the Mars books. The books about Mars are great. How about Venus? Have you considered Venus? Why don't, Make you it take, like Tarzan. why don't you take the ape guy and put him on another planet? And there you go. I know yeah. you don't want to move Tarzan to Venus. You think that's unrealistic. I would say it's all unrealistic, <laughs> but whatever, whatever you say. So how about, how about we change his name to Marzan? Oh, well, but that would be Mars. Yeah, how about Carzan? Carson? Something like that. You, you work it out. You're the writer. All right, Mr. Johnson, I'll go do that now. Uh, I should point out that the 13th Tarzan book is called Tarzan at the Earth's Core. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Good times. <laughs> He's still on Earth. Yeah. Good times. Well, t- times anyway, Jason. Yeah, times. times. Those were times that happened in the past, yep. 75 years ago. <laughs> and the fifth book that's nominated that I read and it immediately fell out of my brain was Jack Williamson's <laughs> The Legion, Legion of, of Time. It's a great title. Oh, it mm-hmm. sounds so great. Like, the cover says, Mankind was horribly doomed unless an army of dead men could change the past. Wow, Ooh. and you want to read that. You open yes. it up, and there's a blurb here that's all, a dazzling white beam of raving energy played on the Cronion, burning and killing where it struck, and the battle for the destiny of the world seemed over before it had well begun. <laughs> like, this book blurbs great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty boring, in my oh. opinion. It's a... Uh, yeah. There are two possible futures. There's the good future and the bad future. And each future sends a woman back to convince our hero to go with them. And our hero eventually dies, and he is swooped up to meet his dead friends in a giant airship. <laughs> are they Zeppelins? The, <laughs> yes. Zeppelin. I was really excited until you got to the <laughs> the dead guy being swooped in, in an airship. airship. Too many airships Check. this year. Hey, wait a second. This podcast is over. <laughs> they're just, no, they're just ripping us off, man. Yeah. It's 1938. Airships just existed. They weren't cool and nostalgic or futuristic. Did at this people point. think, oh, fair enough. But, but did people think that when you die, you, you go to a Zeppelin? That doesn't seem right. That's well, there, there, was, theology. there was a brief moment in time when that was what everyone thought. Yeah. <laughs> the future... The good future has a time machine, and they're doing, and they're making a legion of all the best people as soon as they die. And then the uh-huh. last half of the book is a giant fight, and eventually the good people win, and the bad woman is subsumed into the good woman. Oh, hey. Whoa. Because huh. they were the same woman, but from oh. different futures. Twist. This actually sounds kind of good, except for the Zeppelin part. 
<laughs> so so it's like it's like it's sort of like river world in the sense that they're kind of like taking yeah. great people from time yeah after they die though that seems questionable do they bring them back to life then Is yeah that what they do All right. yes well they can't they just... take them you can't take them before they die because that'll mess up the, <laughs> the timeline oh yeah yeah oh yeah I mean, didn't you makes... see let's kill hitler yeah you're right you gotta you gotta wait you gotta wait until that that last moment and then you kill them when yeah. they're gonna die anyway. know, and you bring them back to life it's an interesting idea, and yeah, it's it's sort of like I wanted to take that plot and put it into a Lensman book. I wanted to just sort of combine them and go, hmm. yeah, and this is what you could do with Green Lantern and Star Trek. But yeah, it just yeah. doesn't. I yeah. <laughs> All right, Robert Heinlein kind of took that concept for his last couple of books. Yeah. Like, oh in, yeah. Into Sail Beyond the Sunset, you basically oh. got. All the characters he's ever written about, whether they died on screen or not, <laughs> now they're all living happily in the future. Man, that book drove me nuts. Anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> all right. Some, any, any final words about uh, the, the past before we take our own time machine and move back to the present? Um, the only novella nominee that I've heard of is Ayn Rand's Anthem. And it's the only one that's still in print. So I think it'll probably win regardless of whether it deserves it to. Ah, but isn't Who Goes There what inspired the oh. thing from another world? It is, but it's foolishly under the wrong name. If it was called right. The Thing. And That's also, right. it's a le- <laughs> the name on the story is Don A. Stewart, although everybody knows it's John Campbell. <laughs> yeah, the only huh. other category that I have any awareness of, really, I mean, I, obviously I recognize all the authors, but dramatic presentation short form, they're all radio shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four out of five of them are Orson Welles shows. Um, you have Around the World in 80 Days, which isn't really science fiction. Uh, a Christmas Carol, which is fantasy. Fiction. <laughs> fantasy. Uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, The War of the Worlds, which almost <laughs> has to win. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and the only one that he had nothing to do with was uh, a BBC production of R.U.R. by Carol Capek, which is the play... That originated the term robot. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, if it's me, I'm voting for War of the Worlds because that's the only one that really, it doesn't just tell a really good story. It, it bends the form and messes around with it. And, you know, it does something interesting with the fact that it's a radio play. So I guess I do have a couple of comments on the uh, bottom couple awards. Best Mm -hmm. fan writer. Almost anyone would be a good winner, except the guy who I think is guaranteed to win. Forrest J. Ackerman was very, very uh, prolific and was a neat guy. He would be a fine winner. Bob Tucker was very prolific and had a very influential fanzine. Harry Warner Jr. wrote one of my favorite early fandom histories. Donald A. Walheim not only started Daw Books, but also Mm. ran the Futurians. Unfortunately, the fifth nominee for Best Fan Writer is Ray Bradbury, <laughs> who, who did do some fan writing, but he was not as important a fan as some of these other guys. <laughs> but he's Ray Bradbury. And in Best Fanzine, they're all good nominees. I'm hoping people will vote for Imagination just because Morojo was a very important early female fan and i'd like to see her get some more uh recognition all right we're 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 moving back to the present now 
Ah, the airship. <laughs> airship time machine. You will be yeah. You will be bodily uh, elevated into the airship. Uh, so so we've got uh, some other uh, shorter fiction here to talk about, and um, I think we should just go category by category. A lot of the stuff is online. We'll try to put links in the show notes if if it is online. Um, let's start with the novellas, and we'll just go go down in terms of uh, size from there. I only read two of the novellas i have the other three still to go and this is i just ran out of time um i read the chaplain's legacy by brad torgerson and equoid by charles strauss um who else has novellas that they that they read i read them all you read them all well i did and scott did you read none or i i read none all right so it's it's me and erica here erica what so what did you like What, what what were the novellas you read that you liked uh, I quite like the Chaplain's Legacy. I yeah, really I liked it, was, it. Yeah, that was that was my favorite. I think of all of them. And I feel like Brad Torgerson mm. again has been kind of he was on that slate. Apparently, he's he's apparently he very moderate politically. And I read some of his blog the other night after I read his stuff because I was like, oh boy, I really enjoyed this stuff. Is he a terrible person or what? And it's like, <laughs> no, he actually seems he actually seems to be a very reasonable person. And I feel bad oh. for him actually because his stuff is really good. And I worry people are gonna not vote for oh, him geez. because he's considered part of this group. And I thought the Chaplain's Legacy was really uh, a cool idea of. Uh, it's sort mm-hmm. of a. It's not quite a first contact, but it's a, uh, a sort of two humans and aliens. It's the most most important contact. Most important sort of. contact, and a sort of existential question about whether these these uh, the humans are going to stay alive or not. And the main character is this fascinating guy who has. Uh, sort of saved a human race accidentally and now has the opportunity to save them again. And he is a fascinating character who who is not who you expect going in. And I thought that was uh, I thought that was really I thought it was really great. I I, I loved it. I, I thought it was great. And I do I, I feel like I, I worry about the same thing that you do about that that slate. But the way that I look at it is maybe maybe most of those authors that are on there really had nothing to do with it. I, yeah. I have a feeling that, you know, they just their names got put on there for, you know, whatever reason because of their political leanings. But they don't necessarily have to lean very far to have ended up on that. And yeah. I was just I was just happy to go in and read it and discover that I really liked it. And he's a good writer. Yeah. And, and the themes in it. I mean, it is it is set in uh, it's military people. And it is a guy who has been tending a who's they call him the Padre, and he has been tending this um, this uh, this church on this planet that is co- kind of co occupied by these aliens. And so you can easily say, oh, he's in this slate, and it's about religion and the and the military. Roll my eyes, I'm not going to bother. And boy, if you do that, you are missing out because it is really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. High five. Woo. Woo. We come together. Easy. On Chaplin's <laughs> yes. legacy, let's forget about those parasites. There's, yes. yeah, but there's pills you never take. forget. Yeah. Uh, what else? What else struck you out of the novellas? Um, I also liked Six Gun Snow White by uh, Catherine Valente. Um, it was I. I <laughs> talking about the butter zone again. I really am just a sucker for <laughs> stories that take fairy tales and sort of turn them on their ear in some ways. And I know that that has. Mm. It's something that's been done a lot lately, but. 
I am still okay with it if it if it takes it in a slightly different direction. And and this one did. Uh, it maybe didn't fascinate me in the otherworldly way that the Chaplin's Legacy did, but I I still thought it was a, a neat version. It was it took Snow White and made it sort of a magical realism western. Uh, and I really don't like westerns, so I think if I liked <laughs> westerns, this would have maybe been the top of my list. But um, despite the fact that it was a western, I still quite liked the idea of Snow White as a you know gun-toting western desperado lady. And I, I actually read this one. Oh, did you? Oh, David. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Look at that. Reading well, things you know, from, I mean, from the modern day. Look at you. It's it's a <laughs> it's a combination. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing I like to do myself. Yeah. So it's like, ooh, mashing up fairy tales in the old west and, you know, pulp adventure. And it's just fun. Hmm. I like she wrote a she wrote a novel that got nominated for Hugo a few years ago. That was the first thing I read by her, and I really didn't like it. But her short fiction that I've read since then has actually all been great. And then she's also got the young adult uh, stuff that's been wildly successful. So I'm looking forward to reading it because I really liked her short. She's a good writer. Even her book that I didn't like was so well written. I just it just drove oh, me yeah. insane. But uh, she's a really good writer. <laughs> She's very good. It didn't have quite as much magic as I would have liked. Uh, when I'm mm. reading stuff for the Hugos, I'm looking for my sci-fi or my right. my fantasy. And this one, uh, except for a few little things here and there, could have been uh, more of a straightforward story. And I got a little I – w- I don't want to say bored with the straightforwardness, but I was just really excited for something else to happen. And it didn't as much as I was hoping. Yeah. I, I very much enjoy her young adult fiction because I, I picked that up because of the kids. And so, but that's the only thing I've read of hers. Mm. So I haven't. Maybe maybe I'll stay away from that previous novel. Yeah, don't read Palimpsest, but her short fiction's really good. Her mm. her her nominated uh, Hugo nominated short fiction's been really great. I I, I fully endorse it. Um, I just Palimpsest didn't work for me. I also enjoyed The Butcher of Cardov by Dan Wells. Um, that's one that was, uh, even if I hadn't discovered it, I think reading something at the beginning, um, I would have recognized very, very quickly that this was a story that was written in the world or universe of a role-playing game. Yeah. And it read hmm. like, like you know, 80 pages of flavor text, which is basically what it was. <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I like my, my role-playing games, but I... I think I had a little bit of trouble with it because those are two diff- completely different types of pastimes for me. Yeah. When I'm sitting down to mm. read, I'm expecting my brain to do one thing. And when I'm sitting down to play an RPG, I'm expecting my brain to do another thing. So I've never been able to get into very many books that are set in the world of a role-playing game. And I had I had that same trouble with this, although it was quite good. And I found myself, this is another one I found myself thinking about after the fact, uh, because uh, I thought the main character was very well well created and lots of layers and some pathos there so it was it was good all right what else i'm curious to hear what you thought of equoid oh equoid so equoid is is strass strass is maddening to me because some of his stuff i really love and some of it i i I find kind of just dull equoid is bizarre because it's kind of lovecraftian horror it's literally like somebody (laughs) on a dare said write a lovecraftian horror story about unicorns and so he did and that's equoid and you know uh i just read this yesterday i i read the whole thing and i chuckled at points but i felt like he was trying a little too hard did you get the feeling that he was just kind of like look how clever i am yeah nudge nudge wink wink look at me look at me yep Mm -hmm. like 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 i said trying trying too hard with the jokes and 
the 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 going back and forth between letters unpublished letters by hp lovecraft about the unicorn menace with the present day unicorn menace um yeah i didn't love it, it, it this i would say is more in line with the kind of the straw stuff that that um, leaves me cold and not the st- straw stuff i like his i like his really crazy far out future technological extrapolations like accelerando and this was you know this was more yeah it it did it didn't it also felt really long to me for for what it was trying to Mm -hmm. do which was kind of tell a joke yeah i actually i really quite liked the world i liked the the, you know the main character and i like well this is part of a this is part of a series like this is a world that he writes Mm -hmm. in this yeah and it's that's very clear because it seems to be really well thought out and i i kind of would like to go back and read some of his other stuff in this world because it seemed like it would be a lot of fun but this one although it's a world it's a world that's very similar to the uh jasper ford british bureaucracy of magical things the to the rook um I, I was and there's some other book that it reminded me it reminded me of it's like so suffice it to say there's magic in britain and there's a british bureau, bureaucratic organization who's in charge of investigating you don't say right but <laughs> so it was a familiar setting but it was a good setting i enjoyed it i haven't read any of those other things so for me this was i mean it wasn't like it was a novel concept i have come across that idea before but this was the first time i dived in you should read the rook the rook is really good and it is set yes. in an organization the check who is they are the secret british magical bureaucracy and it's really great and then there's a podcast you can listen to about it afterward in fact mm-hmm. uh, that you might like also but the book <laughs> is great i cannot endorse the the details of the quality of that podcast but the the, the the rook is a great book but yeah all right so so novellas i've got more to read there i i actually am feeling that thank you for giving me a pep talk now i can power through before i vote and i can read the rest of them <laughs> i should warn you that um if you are like me and get frustrated by not enough magic in your magic yeah uh wakala springs is going to drive you bat guano crazy i, I, st- <laughs> I started and i admit i flipped through trying to see if there was any evidence that it was anything other than kind of a straightforward story the with- very last sentence is pretty much all you get <laughs> sorry all right it's 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 well written and, uh, but it's one of those it's a it's a novella that takes you throughout different eras of sort of a family you get like the the child and then you know we cut to 20 years later and suddenly the main character is the child of the person who was the child in the first part and that kind of thing as beautifully written as it was that doesn't do it for me and then there wasn't enough magic so right all right uh novelette is next uh and once again we have five nominees uh erica did you read any of these I read them all. All right. High five. I, I think I read all yeah. of these or at least attempted to read all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anything anything jump out at you? And Scott, I, Scott, uh, Scott, are you in on this category? I read The Lady Astronaut of Mars and The Waiting Stars. All right. Which rhyme. So. And, and I, I know The Lady Astronaut of Mars, too. Oh, all right. Hmm. Erica, why don't, you, why don't you lead us off since you read them all? All right. Well, uh, actually, the two that Scott read were – I think those were my favorite – I adored The Waiting Stars. That is really my kind of it was it was poetic and beautiful and yet it was about spaceships and mm-hmm. also people and it was you had two different stories going on at the same time which generally in, interests right. me. How are they connected? Balanced. 
as long as they're balanced well enough. And especially if they come mm. together in a pleasing way at the end, which in this case, I think they really did. You've got yep. one girl on a spaceship who is trying to rescue something. Uh, and then you've got uh, another girl uh, who's on some planet that seems to be you know, completely not related. And she's struggling to get by and she doesn't really remember her past very well. And it's just, I'm not going to give anything away, but the, the two weave back and forth and then come together. And I was just like, it was a punch the air kind of moment for me <laughs> as soon as I recognized where it was going. I, I I only read two, but that one was the favorite of the two. And she wrote my favorite novella that was nominated last year as well uh, on a red station drifting. Oh, or yeah, like that. yeah. Oh, that right. was a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm writing that down too. <laughs> uh, it was really good. And this was really good. I mean, I figured out the, the twist fairly sure. on, early on, but I, I, that right. didn't detract from no. anything. It's, the beauty it's, is how it, how it comes together, right? Exactly. And mm-hmm. it's, right. it's so well written. And it's, it, the, the novella that she wrote last year is set in the same universe. And I'm just waiting for her to like, write a novel yes, set in this please. universe or a series, hopefully, because I, just, mm. I am so intrigued by it that I want to read more. That is fertile ground mm-hmm. right there. La- Lady Astronaut of Mars, I found fascinating because it's in this it's in this bizarre um non it, you know you can call it an alt universe but it's really more like a science fiction story set in a parable kind of universe it's like <laughs> it's like a, like a mythological universe cuz it's essentially like the wizard of oz is how it starts it's like her name was dorothy gale mm-hmm. her her you know her she lived with her aunt and uncle right next to the spaceport you're like what <laughs> and, <laughs> and they're all on mars and people live on mars and she's the one who was the first woman on on the on mars because she was on the original team that went to mars but now there's people who live there and dorothy who watched the ships go up is now uh is now a doctor in the colony um and the lady astronaut is a retiree almost because they won't give any assignments to old lady astronauts apparently um and and so just the setting is like wow this is not they're not attempting to extrapolate um she's not attempting to say you know this is where history diverged or or anything like it's just like no it's just there were there was there was a, a an accident happened in washington and then there was a and then they've launched spaceships from the planes and now we're all on mars okay mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and i i like that yeah. Yeah. No, it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was nice to be freed of that of that weight of like, yeah, oh, I've got to have this all make sense. It's like, no, it's fa- it's fantabulous and fantastical. And just don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and in a way, it really felt like a throwback in terms of science fiction to me, which is yes. part of what drew me to it. Uh, I first encountered it as an audio story. And mm-hmm. I think I think Audible dot com put together like an anthology of science fiction audio stories, which was really neat. And then they, then she put it together in in her preferred text to be a, a like a, a prose story, um, and I would say go find the audio version too. It's it's really nicely done. Yeah, I believe it was actually supposed to have been nominated last year as the audio version, but then uh, she found out at the cer- just after the ceremony that it had been taken off of the list because it was published as an audio. For in audio form first, and that doesn't qualify or something. Anyway, she was oh, devastated. Geez. I have to, I have to declare my bias here. I actually, I actually know Mary, so and she's oh. delightful. So, <laughs> yeah. So I, cool. I love this story, but I, I'm a little bit more than a little bit biased. Yeah, the first time <laughs> I met her, she offered to take me shoe shopping. So that's the kind of nice lady that she is. Wow. 
Dream a dream, Scott. One day you will one, be going one... shoe shopping. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I enjoy I enjoy her work. Uh, she writes this series, the Glamorous series, yes. which is basically you know Sense and mm. Sensibility with magic, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I adore. So, and I like this this short story a lot as well. Yeah, I had never actually read anything by her before, so it was one of those things where oh, I know her, I like her, I really hope this doesn't suck, and it didn't. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's delightful. So, uh, so what else is in this category? Um, Brad Torgerson's back in this category too with the Exchange Officers, which is which is essentially an adventure story about um, drone pilots who get to pilot sort of robot drones on a space station who are called into uh, action after the space station is attacked. Um, that I that I I enjoyed. I, it was it was not it did not have the depth that the chaplain's legacy did, but it was kind of a fun adventure in that it was the people behind the robots as well as the robots. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I, I will say it was different. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. It didn't have the depth. It was, again, it was, it was well-crafted and and well-written. It was just, this was about a topic that I could not care less about. I, I don't like the, the, soldiers in space type stories and that's exactly what it was so if you are into mm. soldiers in space stuff I, yeah. I recommend reading this it's it's not real long and it's it's fun and it cooks along it's just that's not my preferred genre i'd say if you like uh if you like the martian too um books like that you would like this because it is sort of a nuts and bolts um equipment in space and how do you get mm-hmm. it to work kind of thing and yeah. i i like that that we actually got to learn a little bit about the characters who are piloting these drones. Cause I think that, that I was, if this story has a meaning, I feel like that's it, which is not, not mm-hmm. drones are people too, but like drones are piloted by people too. And the, you know, mm-hmm. that that's the story is who are these people who are piloting? And this really is taking like modern drone war- warfare and then pushing it forward and saying, who are these people, you know, who, and what will they be doing in space perhaps with drones in space? And uh, yeah, but it doesn't have any of the depth of uh, something like Chaplin's legacy, I think, but I thought it was fine. I thought it was fun, Mm -hmm. but that's sort of it. Um, Ted Chang is in this category. The, the Mm -hmm. much beloved short story writer, he, his, his uh, story is called the truth of fact, the truth of feeling. I have opinions about this one. I don't know, Erica, (laughs) how you feel about it. I thought that it was it's one of those stories where it didn't it didn't evoke a lot of emotion the way some of the other stories did but it was such an incredible idea this uh, comparing <laughs> comparing uh, moving from an, an oral history type culture into to written language uh, and then comparing moving from from written to <laughs> machine I don't even know how to describe it. yeah memory. yes machine assisted memory um which was it was it was a little bit bash you over the head with the idea but i kind of thought that it was a really elegant bashing over the head uh, uh. Uh, and, and it made me it really made me think uh, so i i appreciate it and i i would say that it definitely ended up on the positive side for me um but it like i said it didn't uh it didn't sing to me in the way yeah. that some of the other ones did and for me I'm, I'm i'm a sucker for the emotions so i'm gonna i'm gonna always swing in that direction so i love so much of what ted chang has written and so for me this was a disappointment because because i admit I set the bar pretty high for him. He's a really great mm. writer. And the reason I thought this story was a disappointment is because it it can't it's a little bit of what I was going to say about um Parasite, which is it it can't decide what it wants to be. Um 
it, it, it is or or um actually you know it's a, it's a little bit like that book about space economics the the uh, the straws <laughs> it, it is it is okay follow follow me here it's trying to do two things at once is what i'm saying so it is trying to explore a really interesting premise about what technological advancement could do to people i think that's great it's juxtaposing it with technological advancements that we take for granted but have changed how we think in terms of literacy it's very much saying writing the existence of writing changes thought and therefore um, we are already changed and this would be a new change and trying to compare those two that's brilliant stuff that is amazing yep. stuff and the mm-hmm. the parts that are set in i think it's nigeria where there's a boy who learns reading and writing from a missionary and then they're dealing with british colonialism in nigeria and how it how it affects the way that they think about the past you know an oral tradition versus a written tradition that stuff is is really well done the problem is the future stuff is has this narrator and the narrator is supposedly writing a note to himself it starts out as a thing he's going to write as an article but then it ends up being this um uh kind of letter to nobody to us the readers um and that part really bugged me because i felt like he wanted to have it both ways he wanted to write an essay about mediated technology uh you know changing the way we think and he also wanted to tell a story about it and that's where for me the story fell down is that in the present day he didn't tell us the story of the man and his daughter and realizing how this memory technology changes um how we behave and how we think about our lives. Um, he, he didn't want to just tell that story. He also wanted to lecture us about the meaning of it. And that's where it came apart for me. It's like, I kind of wanted him to choose either tell the story and let me think about the issues or write an essay about the issues, but don't do both because it, it made me dislike that portion because while it was really interesting and thought provoking, it didn't feel like a story anymore. It felt like a lecture with some framing sequences around it. And that, so that's when it, it, that's why I was disappointed is I felt like he, he had a really great emotional story to tell and couldn't resist um, analyzing it and showing his work. (laughs) So that's my rant about Ted Chang. He's a great writer. Yeah. It's worth reading. It's worth reading. Yeah, absolutely. But but do you see what I mean about the, help me out here. Do you see what I mean about the present day stuff where he's like trying to tell his own personal story, but he's also trying to tell us what all the issues are. Yes. Yeah. I I, I honestly, I feel like maybe it would work out better as a short, well, maybe not even a short film, a medium sized film. (laughs) Uh, If I could maybe smooth out the the present day futury stuff um, is very emotional and the past stuff seems more luxury. Uh, If they could maybe bring that somewhere to Mm. middle ground and we could actually see characters enacting this uh, in front of us, I think I might like that better than I did in, in story form. Yeah. Great ideas, though. It really is kind of a mind-blowing oh, yeah. idea about what happens if you have perfect perfect memory and a search engine to give you perfect recall of everything that's ever happened and how that totally changes uh, the nature of memory. So, And that's what great science fiction does, is, is, is do that yeah. and challenge yep. you like that. I just, artistically, I felt like it was trying to do too much. Um, and then the other, the other story in this category is uh, Opera Vita Eterna by Vox Day, who is famously the um least popular man in science fiction in some circles <laughs> because uh he says lots of horrible things and is part of the slate that we talked about before um i'm gonna be honest i, I tried to read this and i couldn't do it this is 
Uh, the first paragraph is some of the worst writing I've ever seen. <laughs> and the setting is something that totally do- doesn't interest me at all. And so I gave up. I have to mm. declare my bias here, too. You see, I am female. Yeah. Therefore. <laughs> well, then. Yeah. Oh, you're one so of I'm, them. <laughs> yeah, so basically, I'm a, I'm a You couldn't be in the lensman. It's right, yeah. men. It's right in the name. So, <laughs> so, so I. This he is the only one of the people in the slate that I actually searched out their blog to find out what the heck was was the deal. And I had done that before the whole slate thing came out. And yeah, the stuff he says is just as reprehensible as everybody says it is. He's an Maybe awful, worse. awful person. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, you know, I had to struggle. I remember your episode talking about Orson Scott Card <laughs> and writers who do terrible things. And mm. so okay. I was all worried. This fault. is the opposite, opposite of the Mary Robinette Cowell uh, thing. I was like, oh, no, what if he's good? Mm, oh, yeah. no, what if he's good? <laughs> and you mentioned that first paragraph. I, I read that novelette today, uh, sitting out in the square in the middle of Edmonton, and I literally laughed out loud <laughs> after I read that first paragraph because I was so relieved. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's just it is it, it was it was it was bad. And I there were bits. Don't get me wrong. This whole thing. Was, I didn't think the whole thing was terrible. But that first paragraph was abysmal. Yeah. Uh, there were bits and pieces that that made me sort of interested. But there was so much more of it that just kept turning me off again and again. Every time there was something that I found kind of interesting about the world, uh, then I would see a really bland character. And, or, it's, I and mean, it's like a conversation between a, some a, a, like a monk and an elf. They're philosophizing, like they're just crawling oh. up each other's butts. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. the The cold autumn day was slowly drawing to a close. The pallid <laughs> sun was descending. Yes, adjectives. How do they work? So many. Um, it yeah. really reminded me of pallid? something that I would have pallid. written in high school. Yeah, yeah. Because it, I need to describe the scene with you know as many ten cent words as I possibly can. If you're using yeah. the word incipient in your first paragraph. <laughs> I'm shaking my head at you. So oh, the thing should this, be incipient. So, so we'll right. it in the last paragraph. This, this second sentence doesn't even make any sense. No, I. I uh, so, so I think what we can Jeez. say is there were lots of guys on that slate, and I think they were all. No, they were not all guys. They were mostly guys. There were lots of people on that slate, uh, and we, in reading their stuff, we found that some of them are good writers and some of them aren't, and that's just how it is. So there you go. Yeah. Or at least some of them wrote good stuff that got nominated. Some of them wrote stuff that wasn't so good that got nominated. That's what happens. Some stuff's good and some stuff isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Short stories we haven't talked about. There are four of them. Only four got nominated because it's very hard to nominate stories, apparently. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are so few of them. Who read the the short stories? I did. I did as well. Surprise, surprise. Yay. All right. So there are four. Um, There are really three. (laughs) So so Sophia Samatar, who who wrote... um, that book that we read for the Nebula episode, Scott. Yes. What is it called? I can't. Uh, something. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, oh, a stranger in Alondria. Yes. Which I thought was perplexing, but well written. Yes, I agree with you. It frustrated me, and yet I cannot deny that it was quite well written. And this Selkie stories are for losers is yeah. completely different. Yes, it is. Although I, I kind of, I kind of loved it. I gotta say, because uh, it is uh, Selkie stories is for losers is how it, it or Selkie stories are for losers is a story, and of course it is a Selkie story in a way um, right. about about losers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. and it's it's uh I don't know I I enjoyed that it's it's the. Uh, the dynamic of putting putting you know selkie stories in a modernish day uh setting and and 
yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's a short story. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It was an interesting slice of a, of an interesting uh, character's life. I thought. I'm not a fan of mm-hmm. Selkie stories either. So, yeah. <laughs> so this was in your butter zone. Yes, I agree. I, we're gonna, we're gonna wear out the, we're gonna melt all the butter zones here if we keep oh, using man. it too much. But it's a new toy. We got to play with it while we've got it. Uh, no, play the, with the butter. The title intrigued me, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, I thought I thought it was fun. I thought it was uh, fun and um and a little bit affecting at the end. I mean, I, I liked the relationship between the main character and her um, would be girlfriend. I guess right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this is another sort of you know you're taking a, a fairy tale or mythology thing and, and changing it around or bringing it into present day. So that is that is. <laughs> In my, you know what zone? Yes. So it was really good. Margarine uh, area. This, uh, Margarine. This category, I think, for me, is the toughest because I really thought all of them were were strong entries for one reason or hmm. another. So, yeah, I just liked them all. Uh, I, I like the selkie stories or for losers as well. All right. Good. What about the water that falls on you from nowhere by John Chu? That one was my favorite. <laughs> I, I have trouble with the other three picking. You know where they go, but. Of all of the things that I read for this year's Hugo's, that is the one that just, it hit me where I live. Mm-hmm. It was, it's a, it's a beautiful love story that just happens to have a, a fantastical element going on. Which it's is that story. when you, when you lie, the more, the more you lie, the more moist it gets to the point where if you rip off a really good lie, you will be completely drenched in water that magically appears out of nowhere. So you better tell the truth or you will be spending a lot of time with a towel. And if you, if you tell something that's absolutely true, you dry off. Yeah, you dry off. Mm-hmm. And it's just – I love the fact that there's no explanation nope. of why this started happening. It's it just, just a thing that happened. The only scientific explanation is that they tested the water and it's pure. Yep. <laughs> it is, it is <laughs> like water every time. Distilled water. It's great. Like there's just a couple sentences yep. being like, this is the world and now we have to interact. Yeah. In so it. what what happens and, what happens when everybody knows whether you're telling the truth or lying? How mm-hmm. does that work? And, and it's, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and how the people have strategies about how they can technically not lie, but not really tell the truth either. Asking questions. Uh, exactly. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really well written and, yeah. and it's it was a tough choice uh it will be a tough choice when i cast my ballot uh between this one and uh the uh ink readers of dose however you say that dose i guess mm. i like that a lot too really yeah me too i did i d- i did too <laughs> jason apparently not as much but mm-hmm. <laughs> did not enjoy it <laughs> no i didn't i didn't love that didn't love that one that was the that was the one that i i i, I liked the least i think and that 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 author, I think, is this the guy, the Dutch guy who wrote his like oh, first he, story he, in English a year ago? Was he might he have wrote about the Crystal Boy? Yeah, right. Exactly. Is that him? Yeah, which I, think, I also really like that one too. So, <laughs> I think my I, I, the water that falls from you on nowhere had characters, and it was a love story, and so, therefore I loved it. Uh, but I think the the ink readers of Doi Socket, or however you say it, it was it was more about. The story that was unfolding, there there is a character that sort of tells the story, but I never got a got the feeling that uh, that I knew them that character very well. And it was the opposite in the water that falls on you from nowhere. I felt like I knew the characters immediately and wanted to interact with them, whereas I was just sort of watching the ink swirl by in the river on the other one. Huh. Yeah, that's fair. I think they both tell they both have a very interesting, fantastic 
fantastical element to it. Uh, yes. And, and I, I enjoyed it. And I think you're right that the Selkie stories are not Selkie stories. Uh, the water that falls on you from nowhere has more fully realized characters. Um, and and that love story is very powerful and of course complicated you know he's living a lie but he can't lie to his family <laughs> right. because he'll get drenched with water so that makes it really interesting as well uh, so it, it has many layers and then the fourth story in this category is If You Were a Dinosaur My Love by uh, Rachel Swirsky who has been nominated before and who I believe I met at Worldcon a few years ago and who is a uh, I've really liked her stuff in the past and this is a short, short story. And I got to say, I really liked it. I, I like Rachel Swirsky and I like her stuff. And it is, um, it is, a, it is not too long. It is very, very short. <laughs> it is very, very short. <laughs> but in that time, it tells a story. It does tell a story, a tragic story about um, a, a, a person who is uh, assaulted and put in the hospital and is not expected to recover. And and the uh and that person's partner and and so i i was taken aback it starts out really reading like the runaway bunny that children's book um but by the end i found it pretty affecting especially given its incredible shortness so i have to declare my bias once again uh if you were a dinosaur my love was actually the very first apex magazine podcast that we did and i am the producer of the apex magazine uh-huh. podcast uh-huh. so i can tell you it's very short it's it's just over five minutes if you read it out loud uh, so um if you don't feel like if you don't feel like picking finding the story online and reading it you can go and listen to uh, lynn thomas the at the time um editor of apex magazine reading it and it is i had to listen to it lots of times because that was our first episode and we were just getting things straight and it is it is gut-wrenching it's, it's yep. kind of a gut punch and to hear lynn read it with like all of this emotion and pain it's, it's just the right amount of emotion you you knew it's kind of needs to be flat most of the way through but it's just oh mm. yeah it's i think if i had just read it i would have liked it i think having heard it read that way so many times it elevated it to a new level for me mm. so uh just like i i may go search out the uh, lady astronaut of mars being read uh, by the author, I I think that this one uh, has benefited from the audio version as well. Rachel Swirsky wrote uh, The Lady Who Plucked Red Flowers Beneath the Queen's Window, which was a uh, a Hugo nominee in 2011. That's the, Scott, that's the one where the, the woman gets put in a, in a magic mirror and keeps waking up like hundreds of years later, keeps, being, keeps getting brought back by various kings and queens and people. Oh, right, right, right. Which I really loved. Good. I thought what it was, was it called again. <laughs> the lady who plucked red flowers beneath the queen's window. It's really it's linked to from her Wikipedia page, but it that okay. was that was a really good story too. And I and I like this, but it is it is when we were doing um intertext back in the day and publishing science fiction every other month on the internet back in the like 90s, um we had a rule uh, for submissions that were this short that was called short must be spectacular and it's like we've published very few short <laughs> shorts because they really do need to bring it uh all the way through every word and i i read this and i thought spectacular this one would get yes yes rachel swirsky you, you know your short your super short short is actually really great so i liked it scott are you opposed to dinosaurs uh, I'm not opposed to dinosaurs, and I'm not opposed to this short story. It just, I thought it was well-written, but it didn't really do it for me. All right. So. Well, that's what I thought about the ink readers, so there you go. Well, there you go. We, we can agree to disagree, right, guys? Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this podcast is over. All right. 
and other categories. We're not going to cover all the other categories, including the one that Erica's podcast is nominated in. But uh, it's worth I, – I wanted to at least mention a couple things. The graphic story category is really interesting this year. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm in that one too. <laughs> yeah, well, te- so, so technically <laughs> in The Girl Who Loved Doctor Who, there is a scene where we meet the people who are in the Verity podcast. However, it doesn't actually represent the actual people because – that would involve he was, legal. He was instruct, yeah, he was instructed not to put any actual likenesses or the name of our podcast. Right. But which it, is fine because hmm. I know in my heart. Yeah, that it's your podcast that's cited <laughs> there. That's by Paul Cornell, who is a writer I like very much, actually. And that yes. is a beautiful little short story in comic book form where Matt Smith's doctor crosses uh, the barriers of parallel universes and lands at a Doctor Who convention, which is in fun. In our universe. In our universe. And it is very funny and also very touching. So, it's lovely. I like Girl Genius a lot, but I feel like Phil and Kaya have probably won enough Hugos. Yeah, it's it's they it's, like to spread it around. So it's nominated every year, and I've read it, and it just doesn't. And I I, I always loved uh, Phil Folio's stuff uh, in Dragon Magazine back in the day. Mm-hmm. But what's mm-hmm. new with Phil and Dixie and all that? But yeah, Girl Genius never really did it for me, and it's there every year, and I look at it again every year and think, no, it's just not. It just doesn't do it for me. Saga yeah. is nominated, and Saga is one of my favorite comics, and Volume 2 was an excellent volume. So I'm really excited about that. Um, XKCD got nominated, which is interesting for the Time that was a comic. Cool one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting idea that had a lot of filler in it. The, the time spent mm-hmm. teasing out the interesting stuff in that I felt could have been better spent by me. <laughs> it probably wouldn't have been <laughs> but it could have been could have been and then the meat house man i don't know anything about and i haven't read it that say george R. R. martin ding seal of approval <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know anything about that um dramatic presentation long form category has frozen which is oh. a movie that i really should see my kids have seen it a billion times but i haven't seen it gravity the second hunger games movie iron man 3 and pacific rim a lot of ladies in that category. Yes, lots. I, and I still haven't even seen all of these yet. I need to catch up. Yeah, I haven't seen Catching Fire or Frozen, which I really ought to do. I've seen Iron Man 3, Pacific Rim, and Gravity. Oh, well, that's a good I point. I haven't seen Pacific Rim. This is a category where I've seen all of them. Mm-hmm. Hey. All right, Monty, thanks good for doing for your research. <laughs> uh, I love Gravity. I think Gravity is a fantastic movie. I thought Iron Man 3 was fine. I, I thought, thought you were just declaring yeah. your love for gravity. I, I, I do love. I love. I, well, I love As all the forces. I love all the forces, force. not equally because they're not equal. But I do love <laughs> yeah. all the fundamental forces. I like the strong force more than the weak force. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, it really goes without saying. Um, I I, uh, I haven't seen Catching Fire. I like the first Hunger Games movie. I just haven't seen the second one. And Frozen, everybody loves. I, I just saw Frozen. It was it was cute. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I liked it. Yeah. I, gravity left me cold. I wasn't it. Interesting. Uh, one, but, yeah. did, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen Gravity. You're welcome. Did you uh, see I it did. in the theater, Erica? <laughs> I, I did. Huh. Yep. It was. It was. It was like I, I enjoyed it in the way that I enjoyed the like Universal Studios experiences. It was like a it, ride. It is a little bit like a ride. Yeah. That is true. But it didn't have a yeah. story or characters that I cared about. Yeah. So that's. I saw Gravity yeah. in an IMAX theater and thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. I see no reason to see it on a smaller screen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great on an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> and Iron Man 3, I think there's a lot of people, when I was complaining on Twitter the other day about how I really didn't like Thor 2, which Thor 2 is, in the grand scheme mm. of movies <laughs> involving Thor, it's about 9,999th <laughs> in quality, I think. Oh, no. I, 
I really didn't like it. Somebody pointed out Adventures in Babysitting, much better Thor movie. Um, <laughs> to, to have Thor have not, much better. <laughs> yep, yep. We could do all of those jokes. But anyway, I, I mentioned that and somebody said, you know, something about, bad about Iron Man 3. And I was like, you know, I kind of like it. We did, an ep- we did an episode about it. I like Iron Man 3. I like we, that it gets him out of the suit. Too. I like that it's not the same movie as Iron Man 2 was like, let's do that movie again. It's like, no, it's like a totally <laughs> yeah. different movie. He's kind of messed up, which Tony Stark's much better when he's messed up. So I like that movie. Yeah, it, interesting way of dealing with uh, mental health issues which is something you don't see often enough i think in in popular culture yeah. and tony stark yeah. i mean in the comics too he deals with alcoholism i mean he's kind of a messed up mm-hmm. he's the messed up rich guy i mean that's his that's his flaw is not kryptonite it's that he's messed up he's rich and brilliant but he's kind of emotionally messed up and that was that was good. i think the ending is a letdown because it's just computer flying suits flying around yeah well yeah but i like computer flying suits flying all right around. And then he destroys all his suits for no reason. For no reason. No. A waste of money. Yeah, the, the ending He's was so flawed. rich. He doesn't care. And Pacific Rim, people want me to do an episode of The Incomparable about Pacific Rim or Giant, oh, giant Monsters I could maybe see. I, I thought Pacific Rim sucked. Sorry, everybody. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but I, I'm not looking forward to it. And I like Guillermo I, del Toro, but I thought I it was it. just terrible. It's a good popcorn yeah. movie. Big robots hitting yeah. big monsters. I that's, like Pacific that's Rim. That's all you need to know. I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it a lot. I was discovered that I'm super distracted if Charlie Day is in a movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that, too. <laughs> oh, man, he plays a brilliant scientist. And the whole time you're thinking, you're no scientist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to watch big robots hitting big monsters. Yeah. That sounds no, that, really boring to me. That, oh well, that that's don't the watch whole movie. Rim, so. Yeah, I want to. I want to okay. watch big robots hitting big monsters, but I want to watch a better movie about them. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Well, they're doing a sequel. Yeah. That's hey, nice. there you go. I'm sure <laughs> and that'll an be animated better. series. I'm sure oh, that'll yeah. be better. And a comic. And I, really, I feel like a comic book is the ideal venue for this. I thing. I think I agree with you on that point. I re- I love the Shogun Warriors comics of the '70s. Uh, in the oh, in the dramatic man. presentation short form category, um, <laughs> Adventure in Space and Time, which is the docudrama about the creation of Doctor Who, written by Mark Gatiss, which is excellent. Which is, it's lovely. yes, but not science fiction. But not science well, fiction, except for one scene. Yeah, it's not science fiction. Uh, there are two episodes of Doctor Who: The Day of the Doctor and the Name of the Doctor. So you've got your fiftieth uh, anniversary episode and also the season finale of the of the previous season. Um, you've got the Five-ish Doctors reboot, which is a a <laughs> comedy about Doctor Who by Peter Davison. Um, there's the Game of Thrones episode with the Red Wedding in it, and Ooh. there's the Orphan Black episode that Erica hated. That <laughs> that it, hate it that is that is the one that I thought was the best episode of last season or for the first season, which is the one mm-hmm. where um, there's the the party at Allison clone Allison's house and lots of bad things happen and she ties up her husband and tries to torture him. Mm-hmm. I don't know how tortures. I don't know how I'm go- I think I'm going to vote the uh, the day of the doctor number one because oh, I truly truly yeah. love Me too, for sure the fiftieth anniversary. Although the red wedding is also great and Orphan Black is also great. How are so you those- not voting for Peter Davison? Well, see, Why would I vote for Peter Davison? Win. It's a comedy sketch. It's fine. Yeah. It was funny. It was cute, but I just I don't think it compared even like one iota to the the Day of the Doctor. The Day of the Doctor is currently my favorite episode of Doctor Who in the last fifty years. And, Do- and Doctor Who magazine's yeah. poll agrees with you. <laughs> yes. Specifically, the last fifty years. Yes. So is there a William Hartnell episode right at the beginning that pushes it out? <laughs> the Aztecs um, is pretty damn good. No. I watched some Actually, of the Romans no. the other day. At, the <laughs> very first episode of An Unearthly Child is a pretty darn close second, That's I might good. say. Oh. It is very good, yeah. Yeah, The Day of the Doctor just, it's, it's, 
the only thing that filled me with delight from start to finish out of all those. Yeah. It, it just, I loved it. And I hated Name of the Doctor. So, yeah. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I, I have issues. I liked parts of it, but I, I when I watch it yeah, now, I, I, have, I have issues. I like bits and pieces. I mean, at least it's not Time of the Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That I still. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, Reigns of Castamere. Uh, the Red Wedding was a big deal, and it is certainly well executed. Although I feel like part of so to speak part part of the <laughs> part of the nomination here is wow, important plot points happened in that episode. Yeah, yeah, it's such a downer. It makes it's hard for me to vote for something that is just that heavy and and dark. But it's a without... wedding. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I will Scott. never vote for weddings, red or any other color. <sighs> yeah. So and I love Game of Thrones and that and that is my favorite Orphan Black. I believe I actually nominated that episode and it got nominated and I so rarely something I nominate actually gets nominated. <laughs> I am so off the map in terms of things I think are good that should should be in the Hugo nomination list, but very variations under domestication is the Orphan Black episode I nominated and it's there. So I'm very excited about that. If I were voting, that would be my second choice. Hmm. See, I think if they would have done the entire, if they could have said, you know, the entire series as long form or something, or maybe even mm. if it was a different episode, I would probably put it up at, at number two because I adore Orphan Black. But just the fact that it's this episode, I which know. is the one that's my <laughs> least favorite, it's so hard to think about. Boo. So the rest of us liked it, Erica. That's what we're saying. The rest of us oh, liked no. it. I liked I'm it. I'm weird. <sighs> that's Okay. There are more parasite books coming, so uh, I will pay. <laughs> I may or may not read them. I like beginnings. Yeah, we should say the best fan cast category is uh, the Cood Street Podcast, Galactic Suburbia, which includes Tansy Rainer Roberts. So she's nominated twice because she's also one of the Verities. Uh, <laughs> the SF Signal Podcast, Skiffy and Fanty, and that's uh, includes uh, Sean and, and Paul, who were on the Nebula episode. Uh, T and Jeopardy, Verity, yay, and the writer and the critic. So there's that's a it's a great collection of podcasts there. Oh, there's a lot I, of podcasts. I just noticed I know somebody on the uh, Galactic Suburbia podcast. That's all. Nice, oh, cool. Glennon, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Montying is very subtle. Montying is very subtle. Oh. <laughs> yes, I notice a glaring omission on Best Fancast. It's it's a fine lineup, but Random uh, Trek wasn't mm. eligible yet. Next year, oh, Scott. That's next, right. year. next year, <laughs> next year. I was talking, of course, of the incomparable. Well, I, you know, I as we I put it on my ballot. I certainly did. As we are more, as we get more known, who knows? Perhaps they will know us and love us. Perhaps they will know us and not love us. Who knows? <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> That's impossible. That's not true. That's impossible. <laughs> all right. All right. We've reached the end. We did it. We made it through. Except for Ooh. all those novellas I still have to read before I vote. <sighs> oh, no. We're not going to talk about the John W. Campbell Award for Best Writer. Oh, we writer, could, but that's not a, not a Hugo. not a Hugo. It's not a Hugo. Not a Hugo. Not a Hugo. Not a Hugo. The Not a Hugo Award. Wesley Chu, Max Gladstone, uh, Ramez Nam, who I know a little bit now and I like very much, and I liked his two novels. Sophia Samatar, yes. who we mentioned, who wrote *A Stranger in Alondria*, and uh, Benjanun. Oh my God! I think is that is that a, a Thai name? <laughs> it's, it's I, a, I cannot do it. Is that a typo? Uh, ben. I can't. Yeah. Ben. Little Ben S. Ben S. As I like to call him. <laughs> yeah, they're nominated. I have I have only read um, uh, Ramez and uh, Sophia Samatar in that category, so I I can't say. Well, I, I really like any. I like Max Gladstone a lot, so he's got. Mm. Do you vote for this? I'm going to vote. For, if yeah, you, you can vote for it, even though it's not a Hugo. I will vote for Max Gladstone. <laughs> should I? What should I read by Max Gladstone? 
Uh, he wrote. Uh, that sounds like a fake name, by the way. It sounds like a superhero. It's like it, Joe Steele. It's like Joe Mad yeah. Max Gladstone. Yeah. <laughs> the first one is uh, three parts dead. So basically, it's it's this. I talked about it on an episode of The Incomparable oh, yeah. at some point. I'll go back and listen. Uh, I, I should listen to The Incomparable. I hear it's good. I mean, not yeah, Hugo nominated. No, but you know, it's, it's no Verity, good. but it's uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> well, that that's for sure. I've I've heard very good things about uh, Wesley Chu's uh, The Lives of Tao. I was actually at his release party for that book in Chicago, and I still haven't gotten around to reading it, so it's on my list. I'm going to, and everybody says it's good, so I'm hoping that they are not lying to me. Three Parts Dead is in the Hugo packet because of the Campbell, so I will read Three Parts Dead. You should. It's good. I will. Good. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Fine, then. I keep buying books. I'm like, I'll never read these books because they're... uh, they're, they're because uh, there's just too many Hugo nominations and not a well, Hugo, the Campbell. Read read the new Joe Walton book. I want to read the new oh, Joe yeah. Walton book. I desperately want to read it because I love Joe Walton and everything she writes. And yet... Hugos. I have these Hugos in the way. <laughs> Hugos are in the way. I got I to listen to all the fan casts too so I can decide what I'm going to vote below Verity and no award. <laughs> <laughs> nice cover. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and now I know the the people from SF Signal and Skiffy and Fanty too, and then Tansy through mm-hmm. the Verity isn't so sorry, Cood Street and writer and the critic and T and Jeopardy. I don't know who you people are, so I guess I got to listen. I'll have to listen to more podcasts. What a shame! That is a good way to find out. On that note, and and on that note, yes, uh, we have we have defeated the Hugos for another year, or have they defeated us? You decide, dear listener. But for now, we are going to close up the old Hugo bag, and you can stay tuned at the end of August to find out who the winners are, and uh, we'll all be rooting for Erica. Oh, uh, Yeah. So, so uh, I would like to thank my guests, as I always do. Monty, Ashley, thank you for traveling backward in time in your time machine to read the retro Hugos. Science fiction was better in the 1930s. Hmm. It was, well, it was shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Fewer pesky characters and dialogue to deal with back then. More space pirates and airships. Yes. Thanks, David Lore, for being here. Now you're going to be, you're going to die and be taken aboard a Zeppelin. It's happened before. <laughs> yeah. It won't be the first time. <laughs> Scott McNulty, thank you for joining me on this journey again through many books, some of which we might not have chosen to read, to, but we read them because we had to. It is our lot in life, yeah. Jason. <laughs> this is the path we have chosen. Foolishly. We, now we must walk it. Next year, we're going to skip the Hugos, right? And we're just going to do the Nebulas. All Nebulas, all, but it depends on if they give Erica an, uh, uh, an award. Oh, that's true. We can do the, fa- ah. the fan cast. I have no trouble with those uh, yeah. nominations. Right. And Erica, thanks for being here, and good luck on your Hugo nomination. It's very exciting. Oh, thank you very much. I hope we can all still be friends. Yes. Not uh, because of the Hugos, just because of <laughs> our differing opinions. You mean once you're famous and... Oh, <laughs> that's right. You won me over by throwing the last half of Parasite under the bus. That was... Uh, <laughs> like, I'll go with that. It was a good I didn't seat. put it under the bus. Maybe under the seat on the bus. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I, you, what you don't know is that I made a hole under the seat earlier. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> I, I set the bus on fire, so <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope none of you has a tapeworm. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I love your classic catchphrase about tapeworms. 
<laughs> All right, that wraps it up for this time. We hope we gave you some good reading suggestions once again. Uh, visit theincomparable.com slash 202 for a complete list of show notes, including links to all the stuff we talked about today. And if you had any problems with your podcast feed, by the way, go to theincomparable.com, click on subscribe. You can see all the different feeds. Some people lost our bonus tracks. If you were subscribed before, um, you can find all the details on the website. So thanks for listening one last time, and we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.